This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. You go to different stores and you watch families go through there. Oh, we're going to have this for Thanksgiving. We're going to have that. I can't have that with my brother. Before we get to today's episode, we want to tell you about a new podcast from Vault Studios. Jessica, it was 25 years ago that a famous Tejano singer was murdered. Uh, the date was March 31st, 1995. Right, Will. We're going to be exploring the life and death of Selena in our new podcast, Selena, A Star Dies in Texas. It's this incredible story of a superstar just on the brink of international stardom. She was about to release her English crossover album, and then she was shot and killed by someone who claims to be her best friend and who was her fan club president. And we're going to explore both the, the the lives of these two women and ultimately the, the, the fatal ending to it, to their relationship as well. All right, Jessica. Well, we will play a sneak preview of uh, the new podcast at the end of this episode. But right now, let's get into this week's story. 24-year-old Howell Donaldson III walks into the McDonald's he works at and hands his manager a bag. She knows something isn't right and calls the police. That bag and what's inside would end a 51-day reign of terror in a Tampa, Florida community in 2017. Seminole Heights was an up-and-coming community. Reporter Emerald Murrow remembers just on the verge of a revitalization. I think a while ago, it was one of those areas that I think a lot of people use the word up and coming. And there have been a lot of changes. There were a lot of new people moving into the area. Um, But this actually happened in a subset of Seminole Heights that um, was even more... um, It was less economically diverse. Uh, It was majority-minority. And didn't necessarily have the same cachet as the larger area of Seminole Heights. Um, Seminole Heights is an area that's gentrifying. This area hadn't yet been as gentrified. And um, Seminole Heights is a place that there are a lot of new restaurants coming to. Um, It's considered a hip and cool area up and coming. But this particular neighborhood, it hadn't quite hit that point yet. So it was very interesting that this accused killer was making this particular neighborhood his target. He didn't live in this area. So the question definitely is why Was he allegedly so connected to this area, or why did he choose this area? For nearly six weeks, that killer was on the loose, striking fear into the hearts of every resident in Seminole Heights and reporters, including Emerald. As we were out doing our live shots in the morning, at that time there was an increased police presence, but um, it was just terrifying and heartbreaking on so many levels. It was scary. It it absolutely was for the entire Tampa Bay community. You had the Seminole Heights community banding together to do different projects to show that they were not going to allow this serial killer to take over their lives. Um, But it was absolutely a terrifying time. Emerald was a morning reporter for WTSP in Tampa at that time and was on the scene as police uncovered the horrific work of the serial killer. 
As a morning show reporter or as any general assignment reporter, you're sent out to cover the news of the day. And the first and second murders, it might have been the second murder that I that I covered. That was the first one that I covered. Um, And I remember thinking at that time, this is very odd that this was so close to where this other murder happened. It was dark. It was early in the morning. Morning show reporters, we're typically on air anywhere between 4.30 and 7 o'clock in the morning. So I'm out there with a photographer. And anytime you're covering a murder, it's you you might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but this one was different as we started learning more details about the case. In the fall of 2017, four people are killed over a month and a half time span. Benjamin Mitchell, 22. Monica Hoffa, 32. Anthony Naboa, 20. And 60-year-old Ronald Felton. They were all shot to death within blocks of each other. Benjamin Mitchell was the first victim. He was actually on his way to see his girlfriend, and he was shot and killed at a bus stop. And obviously, he never made it to see his girlfriend. So that was the first tragedy that happened. Monica Hoffa, she was... um, found in a field not too far away from Benjamin Mitchell not long after that. It might have been a period of a few days to the week or so, maybe a little bit more after that. And then Anthony Naiboa was a special needs. Um, he had special needs. He had autism. He actually took the wrong bus. So he really wasn't even supposed to be in the area when he was shot and killed. So he had gotten off the bus and was uh, walking to his destination when the accused killer murdered him. And Ronnie Felton, this, this one was particularly heartbreaking and this was probably the victim that I followed the most in terms of what happened with him and what happened with his family. Ronald Felton was called the Superman of Service and the local food pantry he volunteered at is now dedicated in his honor. On November 14th, 2017, he was on his way to volunteer when he was gunned down. Ronald again was on his way to volunteer to help the less fortunate. He was heading out at five or so o'clock in the morning, very early, to to try and do something good for, for the community. Because again, as I mentioned, while Seminole Heights is this up-and-coming area, so-called up-and-coming area, there are pockets of poverty within that community. And there were still a lot of people in need, and Ronald Felton was trying to do his part to help those people in need. He was on the way to a food pantry to help serve those in need. And he was gunned down as he was crossing the street on the way to this church in this food pantry. He was a 60-year-old man, and it was just, it was absolutely tragic. And at this point, when the fourth murder happened, the entire Tampa community was just on edge, including myself. I, I think we were all scared. And again, going back to being a morning reporter, you're out there, it's dark. Um, there aren't a lot of people around. We're in this big, marked live truck, and you're constantly worried, am I a target for this serial killer who continues to evade the top minds in the police department? It was scary. It it absolutely was for the entire Tampa Bay community. The crimes, by all accounts, appear to be random. The victims were different ages, races 
Benjamin Mitchell was a guy in his 20s. He was African-American. Monica Hoffa was a woman. She was not African-American. Anthony Naiboa, I believe, was Hispanic. Uh, he was not African-American. I can say that. Um, and Ronald Felton was an African-American guy, but I think that also has to do with the demographics of the neighborhood. There, It was a lot of the African-American population um, was higher in that neighborhood. But race, age, gender... I don't think that that had anything to do with it. Police said that it appeared to be all random. Um, he just was, a, he just appeared to be targeting people in this neighborhood for whatever reason. Early in the morning, it was just all confusing because you couldn't put together why this was happening. I don't know that you can ever put together why someone wants to go out and murder people and how this accused killer was able to continually evade police was just mind-boggling. Police would say that, I think it was after either the third murder or the fourth murder, I believe it was with Ronnie Felton, that police were already in the area because all of these murders happened nearby. It was in a very small area, it was in Seminole Heights, and police were all around all the time. And the fourth murder, he got away again. Without answers, and as the shootings continue, the community gathers for a candlelit march, including families of the victims and police, to show the killer they aren't scared. Maria Rodriguez, Anthony's stepmother, begs for someone to come forward. Her stepson was shot after getting off at the wrong bus stop. I need someone in that community to stand up, not only for Monica, not for only for Benjamin, not only for Anthony, but stand up as a community. I just hope that someone just realizes the pain and hurt that our family, Monica's family, and as well as Benjamin's family, that we're going through, because justice has to prevail. As the community march reaches its final stop, where 20-year-old Anthony was gunned down, his heartbroken father speaks to the crowd of supporters holding candles. It was right here. Yeah, they kill him just for nothing. We don't scare all these people. Nah, they, we won't be afraid. You know, hey, you won't get away with it. After the fourth victim is killed, Howell Donaldson III hands over that bag to his McDonald's manager, Delonda Walker. Inside, there's a gun. He allegedly gave his manager a bag with a gun and told his manager he was going to Amscott to get a cash advance because he was going to go out of town. I think one of the reasons that he gave um, was that for, for giving the gun over was he's, he told his manager he didn't want his little brother to get a hold of the gun because, you know, things can happen. So, of course, the manager apparently thought this was weird, too, and she contacted police. I think there was an officer either in the restaurant or nearby. And so... Police quickly descended upon the scene, and that's when the arrest was made. Donaldson is charged with four counts of first-degree murder. Police then apparently did a search of the suspect's car and found clothing that matched the clothing in some of the surveillance video. Apparently, some of the clothing had blood on it. So everything was pointing him to 
the scenes of these crimes. And later on, we were able to find out that records, cell phone records, pinpointed him to the scene of the crimes. And there were searches that the police were able to do on his phone to find out that he himself was searching online for Seminole Heights killer and searching social media for information about the quote-unquote Seminole Heights killer. But he's not told police he's the killer. He has not admitted to this. When he was arrested, he did not make a confession. Since he's been behind bars, he has not made a confession. And initially, he waived his appearance at any court hearings. But after a while, he reversed course and told the judge that he wanted to be at all of his hearings and whatnot. And one time, there was a proceeding And he spoke out in court when he wasn't supposed to. He was warned not to speak, but he insisted and started talking about how his body basically was falling apart while he was incarcerated. And he talked about being this former college athlete, but now feeling like he's a 90-year-old man because of the things he's gone through behind bars. He didn't necessarily elaborate on what happened. And the families who were there supporting their loved ones were like, how dare you? How dare you complain about anything, much less how you're being treated behind bars when we don't have anyone to lean on? Our loved ones are gone. And from behind bars, Donaldson tells his parents he's in agony. No pain every day. Like, I know y'all. But yeah, I know y'all. Yeah. You got to continue to pray and ask God to keep your spirit up. Yeah. Because that's what we're that's what we're doing. Yeah, we've been on the 21 day fast. That's what we're asking God to do is to continue to keep our strength up. And keep your and strength. And we keep your strength. On the other side of the jailhouse video screen, his parents try to keep his spirits up over the phone. But we know God is faithful. So don't you you continue to hold on to that because that's what we're holding on to. God has never let us down, never let this family down. And you yeah. know that. So yeah. let's continue to hold our faith and be strong in it. Yeah. Okay, so that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Find find your time to pray and to get into God's word a little bit. And he's going to You still have the Bible in your cell? Yeah, I got the Bible. I had read up on it a little bit. Just, you know, doing just just I'm literally just trying to get through every day. I, I, know. I, like, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get through every day, so it's just like yeah. yeah. Yeah, just one day at a time right now. Uh, yeah. Just it's crazy, God's gonna, but God's going to see us through this, man. He tells them he can't exercise because he's in pain. I'm so broken, I can't. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm I, I can't, man. Look, if I do it, my arm will break off. This is what I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've never, out of all people, out of yeah, all people, me. I, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. That's, I grew you up doing push-ups with me, so I know. So, yeah, man, but you gotta all. try to find something. If it's a sit-up, if it's anything, it's just gonna help your mental state, son. It's crazy, man. Yeah, it's crazy, man. You got it's like, like daddy. It's crazy, but it's just, God's gonna see us through, son. God's gonna see us through this. Yeah. My faith is strengthened every day. That's what he tells me. Yeah. That's what the Word of God tells me. That's what my spirit tells me. That's what the Lord is telling me. But for the victim's families, an arrest and the man accused of the four killings sitting behind bars doesn't bring back their loved ones. Ronald Felton's sister, Tina. 
You go to different stores and you watch families go through there. Oh, we're going to have this for Thanksgiving. We're going to have that. I can't have that with my brother. So who is Donaldson? About 24 years old at the time, young African-American man who um, had spent some time up in New York in college and had come back. He aspired to be a college athlete, but wasn't really successful at that. And when he came back, he got a job and was working at McDonald's. He came from a two-parent household. He had a younger brother, and his parents were very, very supportive of him. So I think a lot of people tend to think, When they think of a serial killer, this person has had something go terribly wrong in his life. But from the initial evidence, there was nothing that was pointing to this kid had a terrible upbringing or he had serious problems in his life. There was nothing immediately that was pointing to that. Donaldson's defense attorney claims he is incompetent to stand trial because of a mental illness. Obviously, they are just attorneys and not doctors, so they have doctors explore whether or not there's any sort of mental uh, event taking place that needs to be raised before the court. It means if you are unable to mentally participate in your defense, provide information, uh, answer questions of your defense attorney, it could be it could prevent the prosecution from going forward, at least temporarily or in some cases. Um, Permanently. But in July 2018, Donaldson, who pleaded not guilty, was found competent to stand trial by a doctor. His trial is slated to begin in August 2020, and the prosecution is seeking the death penalty. This office will seek the sentence of death against Howell Donaldson III. This case, in which the defendant murdered four innocent victims in a cold, calculated, and premeditated manner, qualifies. There was no evidence of mental illness or any other mitigating factor that gives us pause about our decision to go forward. And as much as I empathize with their terrible situation, they have a legal duty to provide that information. The community deserves that information, and frankly, we owe it to the victims' families to seek it. Through it all, Donaldson's parents have stuck by his side. When the parents would show up in court, they just looked drained. They just looked like their hearts had been broken because not only were they losing a son, possibly forever, this this kid could possibly be actually killed. You know, he could face the death penalty, um, but also they're grappling with what he's accused of doing, which is murdering four people and this burden that they have of these families who no longer have their loved ones. Those families are trying to stay strong to the end, and Ronald Felton's sister keeps her faith. I have the love of God in my heart, but I don't have my brother. Monica Hoffman's family holds out for justice. This is a start to a process that will help us to get through this and and bring justice for her and for the other victims. We've got a real strong faith in God. He's going to carry us through this. We're going to pray for his family that they get carried through this. And one thought is getting all of the victim's family members through the pain and uncertainty of Donaldson's pending trial. Knowing that this person can't is not going to do this again is what is getting one of the strongest things that's getting us through all of this. Well, one of the, one of the interesting things about this particular episode and something that we don't usually have in a True Crime Chronicles episode is we get to hear from the 
alleged killer, the suspect who is behind bars right now waiting trial. Yeah, I mean, to hear his voice, to hear him talking about it, uh, his his ups and downs behind bars, you know, as we mentioned, the families of these victims have zero patience for that. Um, but but in the meantime, you know, I think just, just hearing some of that audio is compelling. On top of that, we don't often have, you know, the family of a suspect. Uh, we hear from the family of a lot of victims, and rightly so. But in this case, you know, it makes you think about the damage that if he is guilty, uh, he, you know, or, or anyone who's accused of a crime or convicted of a crime, they too have family members, they have parents, um, and, and there, there's a lot of lives that are, are, are left, you know, in the wake of this type of thing. And it makes you think about it. And I, and I want to remind listeners that he has not been convicted of these crimes and he has not admitted to any of them. In fact, he has pled not guilty. So we we really don't know everything until August when he stands trial for these murders. And it brings up the notion, the idea that, you know, we don't always talk about, but that there's a, a stereotype, if you will, true or not, uh, that somebody, you know, might have had some really bad things happen to them in their life in order to end up being convicted of or uh, or even charged with something like this. Um, in this case, it seems like, you know, we, he, he had a good upbringing. He's got a mother and father there to talk to him and, you know, tell him to read the Bible, do exercises and, and stay healthy while he's, you know, waiting to face these charges. Right, and I and I actually love that Emerald Murrow in this actually brought that up about his upbringing, and he had such a quote unquote normal childhood, and was a rising athlete star. And you know, where did where did this? If he did kill these people, where did this come from? We all watch you know different crime shows and and profiling shows and and he really just doesn't fit that mold um, based on what we've seen with other serial killers. All right. Well, as promised, we wanted to get to the sneak preview of Vault Studios. Our newest podcast, Jessica, it's uh, Selena, A Star Dies in Texas. Right, and I want to remind everyone that if you want to join our Facebook group, Inside the Crime Vault, that's where we talk about this case and other cases, but it's also going to be where we're going to share extras from this new podcast coming out uh, this spring. So you'll want to join that group, join the discussion, and be the first to see and hear things as they are launched. And, uh, you know, Jessica, before we played, I want to mention, like, you know, Selena, a lot of people, uh, you know, she is still revered in the music world, certainly in the Tejano music world. But then the interesting thing is, you know, there there's a generation of people who may not have grown up, you know, listening to that kind of music or listening to Selena who who don't know this this story. Absolutely, and 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 quite frankly, I'm I'm I was one of those people um, that did not know about Selena until Jennifer Lopez played her um, back in the '90s in the movie called Selena, and I became a huge fan of the English crossover and started listening to some of her Tejano music and uh I am definitely a fan of hers and I think that now that it's been 25 years she's going to have a whole new generation of fans um that are going to love her just as much and love her music. All right, so uh here's the sneak preview if you haven't had a chance to hear it yet and uh, of course if you're interested if you want to hear the complete podcast launching uh later this month uh, wherever you listen to podcasts go ahead and subscribe. 
Selena was the the Tejano artist to go internationally. We're gonna start the English album. So we're gonna start on that. It should be out uh, June or July, along with the Spanish album. The Tejano album will be out at the same time. Like a Gloria Stefan, she was gonna be the next, but better. It was just one of those things where you see someone who looks like you, who talks like you. You know, you don't realize it's inspirational when you're a kid, but it's showing you, hey, you can do it all. You know, I'm a firm believer that Hispanic families are real tight. They seem to stick together, believe in real family uh, unity. And you can see by our family, we work together really well. And when did Yolanda come into the picture? I would say the early 90s or late 80s because she was with her for a while. Was she introduced to you as the fan club president? Mm -hmm. Yes. Then she was hired as an employee for Selena uh, at her stores. She asked me, she said, Yolanda, you know, I, I, I don't know what's going on with my businesses, but uh, I need somebody to pay attention to my business. This is not the first time. She offered me a job. Little by little, she just worked her way in and everything that she needed, she started taking over everything. And I think after a while, she was even doing her books her bank accounts, everything. Did you ever get a bad feeling from her? Yes, because I knew she didn't like me. She didn't like me being around Selena. She was like kind of possessive with her. She wanted to be in the limelight all the time, you know, and sometimes I think she thought she was the star, not Selena. I saw Yolanda running after her, you know, but I didn't thought it was Selena until she was in the floor. Uh, Yolanda, she just like like ignored, like if nothing had happened, she turned around, she went back into the room and she was out, out standing in the room just swinging the, the, the gun. Sitting there, we heard across the radios, the police radios and scanners, there was something that came across that Selena had been shot. Selena, the Tejano star, had been shot at a hotel in Corpus Christi. Selena has been shot. She was shot this morning at 11 o'clock. My daughter, Selena, was, was killed this morning by a disgruntled employee. Well, she says she didn't intend to do it. She says she didn't mean to do it. She says she didn't mean to hurt her. And you're going to hear more of that. And you're going to hear before it's over the details of, of what was going on, uh, about how the, the gun was being waved around and it just went off. She was a victim. I'm a victim myself from the snares of, of, of her family. Since the trial, Yolanda's done jailhouse interviews. She's made a lot of claims that she has some secret. Oh, it's manipulation. Uh, it's, her, it's her way of manipulating people. I'll always cherish our friendship, always. I'm a true believer, I'll see her again. She manipulates Selena even now, after Selena's been dead for 25 years, she's still manipulating her. She's still good at it, she, she manipulates people. I feel like um, one day she will forgive me, and or that she's already forgiven me, I feel. Do you think she'll ever walk out of prison? I hope not. She took so much away from everybody. She just took her from us. Everybody wants to paint a picture, and it's not that picture. It's a different picture. People need to give us a, a chance to say the truth. God knows I'm telling you the truth. <laughs>